Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of A24 on the Rocks. I am this week's host, Blaze Fitzgerald Ryan the First. I am drinking a Truly's, uh, I believe this is the Punch Pack, because I go by 7-Eleven sales. Uh, my name is Cole William Whitlock Gibson. I'm still keeping it uh, fancy with my Jefferson Ocean Aged Whiskey. Living the dream. Up next. I'm Eric Kiska, and I'm drinking a G&T Gin and Tonic on the rocks with uh, Bombay Gin. I'm Kelly, and I'm drinking a really cheap $5 rosé on the rocks. Mm. And I am Kevin K. Konkonachek, and tonight I am drinking Russell's Reserve Kentucky Straight Bourbon, 10 years old. Ooh, only $30 a bottle. Okay, well, this week on A24 on the Rocks, we get to do one of my favorite films. I have a feeling this one might be divisive, so uh, we'll find out. This is a movie called Spring Breakers. It was directed by Harmony Corrine. Gummo is his other famous movie. Don't know. This movie was uh, <laughs> it was made in 20, uh, 2013. I'm sorry, it was released March of 2013. And the... Uh, Elevator pitch of the movie is where four college girls go down to St. Petersburg, Florida to live out their uh, spring break fantasies. They get into a little bit of trouble and they get helped out by a, a gangster named Alien. And so it's all about how uh, they deal through their uh, trials and tribulations with getting back home for some of them or staying that put. So... Uh, I think a good way to start this is the way we started the other episodes that we've done is all three of these movies so far have had pretty big uh, dramatic openings. This one, for instance, starts with uh, Skrillex, uh, Nice Spirits, and Scary Ghosts, and in a hyper-realistic version of uh, what Spring Break is. So, Kelly, I want to know what your impressions are on the the vibe check on the opening of the movie. Uh, I've seen Girls Gone Wild a few times. Yeah, fair. <laughs> that's what this was. That that's it. There's nothing else to it. That that's all. Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> right on the top think... note. Okay. <laughs> so that, that was your one impression that's on it. the. Uh... Okay. So my Kevin. my first impression was that here. the um, movie wanted to make sure it delivered on its advertisement right off of the bat. Anybody going into this movie, anybody who saw the trailer, um, knew that they were about to see, you know fairness a lot of tits and ass and lots of things about spring break and as a viewer you are going to get that within the first five minutes uh titties and big booty that's what life's about exactly whether it's artistic or not we can debate later on in the podcast but from the intent of the director i feel like he definitely hooked in and promised or fulfilled the promise of the video pretty much right off the bat Okay. Cole, what was your th- vibe? Early vibe check. Uh, my early vibe check is, uh, look at all my shit. Because <laughs> I heard that line so many times in such a short span, I wanted to kill myself. Uh, but to uh, start off the movie, the two-minute mark was the first pair of boobs, so I guess that's a good thing. I don't, you know, if that's what you're into, I am. Uh, also, the 
uh, I like the Kimbo Slice reference when they're just watching a YouTube video and it's just Kimbo Slice going to town. Uh, I did get, I wrote, uh, the vibe of the film was this was either written by a very horny teenager or a very lonely man that never had fun. Turns out, fun fact, we're going into the fun fact corner here, the director said that he uh, made this movie Mostly because he never actually had a spring break and never wow. got to truly enjoy it. So he wanted to live vicariously through it. And uh, surprise, surprise, I guess he accomplished that. But that's my uh, quick um, two cents. Yeah. And then for me, right. I this film is so Florida. Like, it doesn't even start in Florida. And you already have the purples, the pinks, the neon blues, cyan blues. Um, and then also, like... I don't think any of these characters are realistic people. They Nobody talks like this. Like, who thinks going on spring break in Florida is going to be a spiritual journey? You know, like, you're going to see things differently, and you're going to really find yourself, you know, doing a bunch of cocaine and drinking a ton of, you know, shit in Florida. Like, I don't know anyone. I And I was, like, around the age these uh, people were when this movie came out. I don't know anyone who talks like how they did, and her her name was Faith. So yeah, I yeah, <laughs> I I think I think I think Eric brings up a really good point. Um, my first big point is that this movie, the 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 overarching theme is how um youth culture was back in the early 2010s. If you think about like you said when we were in college ourselves, that's when Jersey Shore, uh, Real World, all these big reality TV shows were huge, and they would over-exploit uh, what the party life was. And I think this was kind of ahead of its time in the fact that uh, how the he looked at the youth culture as like a vapid, soulless uh, pop music video. They, they reference video games, they reference movies a lot, they reference, you know, just the pop, you know, gangster-style lifestyle and I think it was an overblown for the effects to uh, to get his point across. He had to make everything bigger than life. For example, um, I want to talk about the cinematography a lot because I love the cinematography. I love, as Kelly was saying, you know, just how like bubblegummy and poppy and everything was. And I, I noticed, I don't know if you guys noticed, but they kept going back to the uh, My Little Ponies was always on TV. And, you know, how bright and colorful and rainbow-like that uh TV show was, that's how everyone was kind of mirrored in their, um, you know, ultra over pop life. Uh, Cole, do you want to comment on that? Or? Yeah, I mean, like, <clears throat> I like the cinematography in terms of, like, the, some of the colorings and stuff. It was very, like, I like the intense coloring spectrum that they had, and it definitely had that, like, music video vibe uh, with a lot of the scenes, a lot of Britney going on, and a lot of colors, and, like, that aspect I thought was was fine. I felt like it was very hollow when it came to the rest of the stuff. Visually, it was appealing. I mean, you had ass and tits and, and pretty colors, so I was all for it. <laughs> uh, well, what did you guys think of? Uh, so early on in the film, to get the uh, the money, they uh, robbed the restaurant. And they did, in my opinion, a beautiful one take. Uh, Nicki Minaj was playing in the background. Um, and it was a, basically a smash and grab. Um, did you guys have any like thoughts on that? Was that like you know just overproduction so, or for you know, me? I thought uh, it was interesting because we saw that scene twice throughout the film, right? We saw it the first time where we saw it from the viewpoint of the driver, where it was very you know low key, and it was kind of what the reality of it was. You drop your friends off, they go inside, they come back out, you've got money. 
Later in the movie, then, we see kind of the fantasy of that same scene. The running in with the hammers, the telling everyone to get on the ground, this very Hollywood glamorized version of what a stick-up may be in the form of telling your friend all about it. And I really kind of enjoyed the, the juxtaposition of those two scenes, the way it was very simple, straightforward, and reality. And much like the rest of the film, where fantasy kind of blurs the line between what we're supposed to know, you know, is the fantasy of spring break versus the reality of murdering people, taking a bunch of drugs, things along those lines. So uh, I did like that particular scene, and I thought that it kind of uh, was artsy. So I have a question, and I think, Blaze, you are okay with the movie, like, not being really realistic, you know, us suspending, or you suspended your disbelief. And that uh, stick-ups, the, well, the, the first stick-up scene, um, I don't think it was realistic. Like, okay, Pulp Fiction was another movie where they robbed a restaurant, but that was the early 90s where a lot of people had cash. In, you know, 2012, more people had debit cards and stuff. I don't think they would be able to rob a chicken shack and get away with that much money. Um, and then number two, what happened to the getaway car? They, they stole it from someone, then they just lit it on fire, and no one ever wondered where their car went the whole movie? Well, they got rid of the evidence. Well, yeah, yeah. but somebody would notice their car's gone. <laughs> who, uh, right, it was their, it was their college professor. Yeah, I, wouldn't I don't your think college professor problem, be like, maybe. hey, fuck, my car's gone? Well, yeah, he probably did, uh, but he, he was, could be in Kentucky looking for his car yeah, right now. He's but not a car bus, to it, though. Like, you can't just open that plot line and then, like, you know, eh, all right, see you later. <laughs> it was burnt. I think they close it off just fine. I don't think yeah. there's a lot of movies where they just get rid of cars. Yeah, but like, like okay, not, are you really hungry? You ever watch Breaking Bad? That dude just burns that one. Is the car? He These his people kid. aren't criminal masterminds. They're freaking college kids. I think Kevin put up a great point, though. The juxtaposition, right? What you see, what really happened, versus when they're in the parking lot talking to Faith, um, who's played by Selena Gomez, who I think wonderfully played by Selena Gomez, someone who doesn't like Selena Gomez that much. You know, in their retelling of the story, you know, they were all like, get on your knees. You don't want to fucking die. You know, give us your money. You know, we're hard-ass gangsters. Da, da, da. But when... You look at the uh, the scene, like Kevin said, from the driver's perspective, but it was all, you know, um, you know, in real time, it was just people just handing their wallets over and like no real fuss or muss. I mean, they smashed a couple tables and stuff, but they weren't these like hard ass criminals that they were pretending to be in the parking lot. So I think there is a reality of, you know, parking a car and setting it on fire and they probably found it the next day, but they were already on their way to St. Petersburg. And, you know, I mean, okay, that would come back at the like towards the end, I think. But anyway, I mean, they also took a Lamborghini at the yeah, end. Yeah, that's you just know, that's it's, <laughs> it's not realistic that they would just go back home to uh, go back home to their life in college after all that shit that happened. But I, I uh, we'll, we'll get to the end. Yeah. Well, I, have, I have a question. I have a question for Kelly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kelly. We are discussing yeah. right now the difference between taking this movie at face value versus taking it as some sort of indie art film hyper pop dreamscape exactly so give me your two cents on where this falls in the spectrum of an indie film trying too hard to be artsy and cool versus a glorified violence drama thriller with some famous disney teens it's more leaning towards the second one but it's not even violent enough to be that um it's more so there's two things that I want to do. One, I want to talk about what we just talked about, that scene. There's three times in this movie that made me feel anything. 
And that was one of them, that long car that's going around the outside, that long one shot, watching them pop through the windows was beautiful. And that was a really good scene. And it made me kind of excited to see where else they're going to go. And we'll get to where those expectations fell. And that would be the only one, if it kind of kept with that kind of atmosphere and that feeling, then it would fall more towards like gory, hyper pop, like crazy violence, more fun movie. In like summation, it's like a five minute thought that someone had in their head and then made it into a movie. And I think that that's all that I gather from it at all, as far as the aesthetic, as far as the plot, as far as anything goes. Um, so that's my answer to that, if that's appropriate. <laughs> Fair enough. Thank you. <clears throat> but can I interject and say that repetition is a theme of the Oh, I hear though. you. Definitely, um, I hear I you think on the, that. I think the most, <laughs> <laughs> the, most, the most famous line is spring break forever, you know, and they say it over and forever. over and over again. But I think... <laughs> Again, you want to go back and look at this. So they open up with this extremely loud um, Scary Monsters and Nice Spirits by Skrillex, right? In the opening scene. The ending scene is a slow-down piano version of the exact yeah. same song. So it's supposed to, like, mirror itself. And, like I said, we're, we're playing into this whole pop versus reality movie where we are, as a society, we are we overindulge ourselves, you know, through music, through video games, through stuff like that. Like, I don't want to get to the end of the movie right now, but I think there was, like, some key signs that this was more or less in their heads um, of what actually happened uh, versus reality. I think if you can hang on to that, then it's a much more enjoyable film to watch um, as the quote-unquote crime gangster pop lords that they were playing, living out to be, I should say. But yes, I think repetition is a very, very important part. And going on to uh, the music, I really enjoyed the entire score of this film. I think uh, that was the most wonderful use of a Britney Spears song uh, <laughs> I could ever imagine. Um, and I think it was artfully done. Um, Kevin, I really wanted to talk to you about that. You know, what? What you're the uh, music guy. What, what did you think of like how the music set the tone? Whether you, uh, you know like the tone or not do you think it fits sure. the movie or so uh you know we talked about the intro a little bit already where skrillex hits the bat and much like the rest of this movie that idea of an edm beat kind of repeating on itself uh being shot like a music video the whole you know trying to relate with uh late 2010 teenagers uh it, it felt appropriate to start out with uh to say the least and then kind of from there um they did have some pieces that were very interesting to me. Of course, the whole scene with the piano and Britney Spears, of course, was very well done. I thought that was shot excellent with the waves and just the ridiculousness of the bikinis and the ski masks and the automatic rifles. Uh, the whole thing was, you know, enough to keep my attention throughout it all. Uh, but unlike the other movies where I was writing down every other song and I really felt that it aided to it, I was distracted by so many other things in this film that the soundtrack kind of fell away from it. So there were those two key moments, but other than that, my notes don't really include anything about the music, and that's probably just because there was a bunch of other things happening that I was trying to pay attention to during that time. So uh, that's you know kind of my thoughts on that. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, so speaking of that scene, um, there is a character played by James Franco uh, named Alien, um, and he is kind of the most interesting character, I think, of any movie that we've seen. You might not like him. Cole, what what did you think of James Franco and almost like his self-actualization in his other roles, like being just 
total to the tenth degree in this one. Um, I think James Franco's character was uh, very interesting. I think he played him like decently well. Um, <coughs> I did not like Alien, but he. Uh, I don't think you're supposed to necessarily like him, but he. Uh, he definitely plays that whole. Uh, uh, that scene where they're at like uh, hanging out or like after he got them out of jail and he's kind of like pressuring them but not pressuring them and doing like oh I like you a lot I like you a lot I don't want you to leave I think he did that very well the scene the where he uh, the, uh, we could jump to the sex scene I thought that was quite an interesting <laughs> scene with the girls and like I thought it was going to take a very dark turn and I thought they were just going to shoot him in the face but they did not also, that scene was improvised where he started sucking off the gun. So, good for James Franco, open-minded person, and it ended up in the film. So, uh, yeah, and also, I guess he, he based it off of some other rapper that I have no idea who it's about, but... Yeah, he was he was definitely Florida Man, in my opinion. Hardcore <laughs> Florida as... Man. He looks like Riff Raff in this um, film, 100%. And it, there was a lawsuit from Riff Raff, think... actually, claiming good? that there was uh, a likeness oh, really? uh, yeah. infringement. But like they were, they were saying it was, they were saying it was actually based off a guy named Dangerous, who was a Florida rapper at that time, and uh, he was actually in the movie. And if you actually look at the two, Mm -hmm. I think it it is more based. Like Dangerous makes a lot more sense. Also, was he the guy with the uh, chin strap and dreads in the pool hall? Okay. Uh, Okay. The ATL twins. So I guess are real people, and, (laughs) and they only date one person at a time. Fun fact: it's real. It's very strange. Oh, the twins! <laughs> yeah, they, it's a hundred. Everything they said was a hundred percent real. Oh, the, uh, they, they're concerning. into double penetration. <laughs> that that whole quote. Yeah. Yes, they are. Yeah. Really. Well, I guess that's a good segue. Uh, Kelly, the other casting choices are uh, very interesting for the time that they were casted. I would say Selena Gomez, as we said, plays Faith, who's the uh, more religious leaning one. She's still kind of a bad apple, but I guess if any of them had morality, she would be the. Uh, Shining example. They also had Vanessa Hudgens, who's another Disney Star alumni, and then Ashley Benson from Pretty Little Liars. Now, what do you think uh, Harmony Carroll's um, decision was in casting these uh, girls? Do you think this was their decision to like break out of you know the child star motif, or do you think you know like what 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 do you think of that casting decision um, instead of like maybe less innocent girls? I guess would be the uh, yeah. PG way to I think it. that it's very clear throughout the movie that they're trying to really show off. These are young college girls. Look at their stuffed animal backpacks. Look at how young and innocent they are. And so it's kind of like with Charles Swan, it's typecasting based on who these people are in reality. But I give no credit to the director for thinking of this because, as I mentioned previously, I think he thought about things for about five minutes and then made a movie. And I saw pictures of him with the cast, like Selena Gomez sitting on his lap. And I'm like, okay, I see exactly what your goal was to get these girls in your movie, you creepy pervert man. <laughs> That's how I feel about that. So so do you think it is a problematic movie then? Like as far as do you think... It's a, mis- it's a misogynist you know, film it was... for sure. Um, the way that the cameras are, it's all male gaze 100%. And the way the cameras, like, roll up and down. It's it's one thing to do, like, the girls gone wild kind of situation. Um, it's a different thing to have these Disney stars rolling around in the hallway, being girlfriends that are, like, way, like, over-the-top handsy with each other. 
um, letting the camera fall and like their bodies up and down. It's all, it's like, it, that's nasty to me. Like I can, I can take a certain amount for a point, but there was no point. It's just all pleasure. It's all over the top crazy. Uh, and I, I get that that's like the goal of the film, but it's, you can do something more with that. You can give them a backstory other than being this one girl goes to a prayer circle sometimes and she lies to her grandma. And that's the backstory that these women get. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Okay, cool. Um, Cole, will you you want to say something? Yeah, I got a question uh, for Kelly. Uh, You are a a woman and you go to the bathroom. Do most girls sit on the floor in the bathroom and count money? Because that was pretty disgusting to me. I'm just curious. I've never been. Only when you're just, with. It was very interesting. Only when you're with three of your friends and you're hardly wearing any clothes. Perfect. Okay, I that's want what the I was casting question. <laughs> I'm gonna take the casting question now. Two things. A. Yes. It felt incredibly cheap. It felt like it was taking the nostalgia and the fact that we had seen these girls at a impressionable young age, and now that they're 18 and legal and be put into a bikini, you can now take all those individuals who fantasized all this crap when they were, you know, younger, and now here we are as adults. It's absolute nonsense. On the other hand, if you're looking at it from a perspective of an artsy fartsy film, they could be looking at it as a some sort of uh, analysis of the culture of teen Disney kids and what spring break is and that whole culture but that's our big stretch and i don't think the director had any intent in that actually happening and i i gotta say one more thing um you know james franco he has recently been accused of grooming uh girls like girls that are underage on instagram and so now going back to watching this movie and seeing that scene of him basically grabbing selena gomez by the face and then like rubbing his thumb on her lips it's it gave me really creepy vibes now you know what that's that's actually a really fair point uh that is i think it was his acting class too right if I yeah remember well instagram too yeah, yeah. real vanessa hudgens said that vanessa hudgens said that she'll never so, do a sex scene ever again after this film because apparently it was horrendous and really terrible well, it was pretty it was a pretty graphic sex scene um the, in the pool yeah. Can I be honest with <laughs> Again, that? I... Everything that they had in the movie leading up to the sex scene, I actually thought it was underwhelming. <laughs> Again, I, I think there is um, artistic merit he to it. He gave a uh, gun a blowjob. So... <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> right, but again, you because you take it into these um these girls' heads that you know that they're in this you know real you know ghetto environment. Again, I, I wanted to bring up Gummo, um, but unfortunately, no one had seen it. But it, that movie's about the underprivileged minorities and how you uh, can only get so far in life because the system is put against you. And I think this film shows you know these privileged white girls go into a minority neighborhood because when they're out partying with strangers, you know, on the strip with the other college kids, um, they have no problems. They have no issues. Selena Gomez told her grandma she can't wait for her to come down next year. Um, And then she goes into the minority neighborhood where there's mostly black people and then she's uncomfortable and then she doesn't want to be there. So I think the uh, juxtaposition of, you know, why is doing drugs and drinking with, you know, white college guys okay, but um, once, once it becomes real... Um, you know, all of a sudden it's you're in a scary situation. So I think that's a very interesting point. And so when I put that into that sex scene with the guns in James Franco's mouth, 
these girls are living out a fantasy where they can just go back to it, right? So the consequences of their actions are never truly felt, even though what they do to people is, you know, pretty despicable. But because they have fed this this meme of, you know, money, guns, violence, drugs, sex, you know, on Top 40 Radio, they think they can um, just slide right into the actual uh, environment. Um, so, and I think it's very clear in the end when, again, I'm not quite sure that scene actually happened. I, I just love the final scene of this movie because I just think it's just so wonderfully shot again the the music is just perfect and then they get on the um the dock and the dock is look it looks almost like a, a runway stage they're in neon yellow and the girls just wearing bikinis blasting people's head, faces off while they're like you know those like live laugh love like posters that you know college mm-hmm. girls have you know with, with this that, that that's what is overplayed is like we went down to florida we made friends and memories and da 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 and i just think that's just a way that he wanted to show this film as, you know, the people that died were all minority black people, and the people that survived were these two white rich girls that could get out of it anyways. So, I don't know if I have a question about this, but I just think that the end of the movie was just amazing in that in that light, if you take it for not what it is, but for what he was going for. I know I said a lot, so if anyone wants to uh, comment on that, uh, yeah. on anything I said, well, okay. Um, so I, you know, was trying to figure out like what is the overall message of this movie? What's the theme? I think you have been doing a good job, like explaining what the intent was. But one in every movie, I feel like maybe this is just a personal thing. I feel like for me to take away anything from a movie, from a movie, I have to care about one of the characters. I don't care about any of these characters. Like they're all just like very flat, hollow people, which I guess if, you know, you're trying to kind of make this uh, a comment on, like, reality TV and pop culture at that point in American culture, um, that could be realistic. Like, it's just one big car, like, train wreck, basically. But either way, like, it doesn't do the movie any justice where I just don't care about any of the characters or what happens to them. But two, I was, like, wondering what is the theme? Like, could it be a comment on the American dream? Uh, but what is the comment? You know, like, he could be a comment on hedonism and, like, American excess. You know, they glorify uh, Scarface in here. But, like, there isn't really a, a, like, a comment in the end. Like, I guess maybe, like, he's, uh, the director is taking the audience's, like, disgust of these people and just saying, like, okay, like, the American dream excess is kind of a disgusting thing and maybe maybe that's what he was actually trying to say but for me to get to that point i actually have to care about one of the characters to take something away from it like that you know and like you were saying in the end they just you know they kill all these people they kill a house full of gangsters when they've seemingly never shot an actual gun before and they just like kill all of them like really you know really lucky they were able to kill all, all of them and just get away easily. Um, and so it didn't make me feel anything about it. So. Going off of what Eric just said, I thought, like, the the end scene with, like, the whole gunfight, <clears throat> right when they, like, were walking down the boardwalk and one dude just quickly shoots an alien is just dead, I thought it was going to take, like, a very, like, 
maybe like a wake-up call for these girls of like a realistic turn of like holy shit this dude just got blasted instantly dead game <laughs> over but then they just went on like a murder spree and killed everybody and then and then left and acted like nothing was everything was okay that not nothing nothing wrong you know they're untouchable nothing i don't know i thought i thought it was very um i don't know just kind of like a week a week out of just oh yeah they kill everybody they kill gucci Mane, <laughs> they go home they take the lamborghini and they have a good time also the other two girls went home as well i think the kelly the uh, ending kelly? scene like you're kind of alluding to blaze doesn't necessarily actually happen um i think it's kind of a play on we were talking earlier about the diner, how it happened in real life one way, and then they talk about it a different way. And they, again, with the constant repeating of things throughout the movie and how no one actually says anything from their mouth, it's just oversaid on top of it. Something they kept repeating was pretend it's a movie or a video game. And the end of this is very much just Grand Theft Auto. Girls in bikinis and ski masks shoot everybody. They don't have any armor. All these gangsters that know how to shoot guns never can land a bullet on them. And it kind of goes back to what Eric is saying with, like, there needs to be a character you care about to take anything from the movie. Because if the director is saying something about how Spring Break's a big, huge mess, ew, gross, nasty, which he's not saying that because he loves it and he's reliving it or trying to live it himself for the first time. Or is the other thing that he's saying... Um, something about how spring breakers are a parasite on the community that they land on and they leave all these people worse off after having visited them. Mm. Okay, that goes with my five-minute theory. I, like, I think that's... Well, a- yeah, and then maybe that's what he's saying, but that goes with what I'm calling... I'm now dubbing it my five-minute uh, theory, TM, TM, TM. <laughs> you can say that and you can think that and just you can tweet it. That's all that he really did with this whole movie because he didn't make you care about that fact or anything it's just like okay if you read in between all these lines of colors and tits maybe you'll see what i'm really trying to say isn't it thoughtful it's not artsy to me it doesn't really make me feel or take away anything so you guys are saying that he didn't earn his point is at the end of the day right because that's what i'm saying it's lazy hollow very hollow Can I ask you guys if, uh, let's say, uh, I mean, I don't think Cotty was one of the best, the girl who got her arm shot, uh, but what if had Faith had been coerced to stay and maybe, you know, she kind of kept that, you know, guarded attitude um, while the other girls, you know, became part-time gangsters. Would that have changed anything or was it lost in the beginning the way, you know, the, the spring break parties happened? It would have made for, uh, yeah. sorry, I just yeah. talked so someone else. No, it's, it, it's so basically I think that it was actually necessary for the girls to leave in order for the movie to progress um, in the way that it was. We kind of saw a reality that was a little bit more grounded as the two girls were there, whether it was the party itself or just, you know, moving after Faith left into the idea of a gangster getting mad at you for taking some of his turf and then getting shot. But then as soon as that second girl left, then it was fever dream extraordinaire for the rest of the film. And I do think that was intentional. I do think the director wanted to make this fantasy even more just ridiculous and over the top. Um, including the point where the girls seemed to be the ones that were forcing uh, James Franco's character to get hyped up to kill Gucci Mane. Like, it was all just so ridiculous and over the top there that it kind of just continued to go down that track in a, in a crazy spiral. But whether that was intentional or not, like we talked about, it just does seem cheap in some circumstances. I wanted to get back to the point, because I really think it's important to drive home, is that, uh, like Kelly said, this 
was more akin to a video game, to a music video, to Scarface, like Eric said. And I wonder, like, if you guys are just taking things at face value because, you know, like I said, maybe you guys only cared about it skin deep because the rest of the movie was so off-putting. Because when I see that uh, Britney Spears scene, which, like I said, is, I think that's such an amazing scene. But at the same time, they're, like, at a wedding and Alien and his two friends have their masks off. You know, they go into a hotel room and they basically torture people while they're smoking weed. And in my mind, as someone who's seen the movie like three or four times, it's it's almost, again, like you, I go back to the uh, scene where they're discussing the faith where the the robbery happened. And if this is just a big, you know, an exploitation to pump themselves up of what the reality of what actually happened, uh, I think that says a lot more than, you know, oh, these girls just went on a violent killing spree. I don't know. I think there had a lot to say in that. There's a lot of points that this movie tries to make, I think. Um, but in that form, I think it's the uh, the vapid um, soullessness, um, our, our generation's low attention span, which is why the repetitives happened. Um, I think, again, there's a, there's a lot of things that this movie's trying to say beneath the service of tits ass and cocaine i i, I don't think i'm gonna gain any well, uh followers i think but... we, we did just answer you there like we see what he was doing um but we have to <laughs> one care about one of the characters for us to really care about the whole movie because that's a big thing for me and then two the direct the director uh clearly stated his intent outside of the movie that he wanted to relive through a spring break or something that was his idea uh for first making the movie. And so that makes him seem kind of shallow. Also, just like all these, the pictures of him after, just with Selena Gomez sitting on his lap, like, you can you can see that the director, yeah, he was trying to say something, but I think he was also enjoying all the grossness of this movie at the same time. But isn't that what an exploitation director's supposed to do? Like, No, isn't that the what director's supposed is? to, no, like, no. look at it from an outside angle and... You know, like presented to the world and not. I think, there was any not... I think yeah. it, it delivered exactly what it said it was going to deliver to its audiences. It yeah. literally gave us all of those oh, things. Oh no, no, no! And then I think... maybe it gave us a swerve if we look at it four or five times. Then you can come up with an analysis that doesn't fit the norm. But honestly, I think it's exactly the way we're describing it. <laughs> Sorry, right. Blaze. I love I... you, but that's just our opinion. Yeah. I... No, no, that's, that's complete. Hey, I can no, respectfully no, disagree. I'm... You know. Listen. <laughs> This is this is not a blaze tatorship. This is a blazeocracy. Okay, we can all, all decide how we now, feel about. Has everyone movie only seen this movie whatever. once? Is everyone else? Is this our no, first this is my second time, and I was actually going to say first that time. I actually liked it more the first time I saw it, but is because I saw it in college, and um, I did not think that deeply about this movie, and maybe uh, that's you know to. why I liked it more <laughs> but yeah well, but yeah though I was probably the core well, demographic it, for people uh okay. that when this first came out you know I was like a 21 year old uh you know man well I think I think it was marketed wrong oh go ahead sorry <laughs> I was just gonna say uh you know blaze who also loved this movie and dubbed it his 2013 best film of all time of that year not all time uh was quentin tarantino and surprise surprise lots of bare feet lots of women running around without shoes <laughs> on so not that surprising that he liked it i don't think he dove as deep as you did but counter- you and quentin tarantino both like it 
foot counter? Did you get one? I don't, I don't have a foot counter. Oh. There was way too many feet going on. They did a lot. They did. They, they did a lot of handstands without shoes in the middle of hallways. Yeah. They did that like three or four times. I don't know what was going on. Then they sat in a bathroom, and yeah, lots of feet. Right. That took me back to a great Nelly song, though. That's and the the Backstreet Boys song. Oh, it was so great. I do want to. Uh, can I talk? Can but no, talk I a do a little bit about the fashion of of that time because I actually that was a kick. Like rewatching that, oh. you know, like um, woman wearing sweatpants with like stuff on their butt. You know, the the flat brims mm-hmm. and just like all of that fashion during that time did give me a trip to like go back to that. Um, Ellie, you were talking a lot about that too. Yeah, it's like, it came out like the year that I graduated high school, and it was kind of interesting to go back to that time when fashion was literally the worst it's ever been since we started caring about fashion. (laughs) (laughs) And also, like, it was fun to hear all the Skrillex over again. Um, I used to have a Skrillex haircut, fun fact, but it was was fun to hear that, and it fit the movie, but it got, I don't know, it got old real fast at the same time. It is the most awful of all things, both that kind of like dubstep and the fashion at the time but it's it was fun to be like oh yeah i remember when that was a thing was uh because ellie goldie's track is at the end were they like dating yet when that movie came out i wonder because skrillex and ellie goldie like dated for like a Uh, minute but i don't know it's kind of weird but uh yeah um i just wanted you guys to know my last my last piece on this was when I first saw it, I was not the biggest fan of it because of how it marketed itself. It marketed itself as like a action movie when it really was a lot slower paced than an actual action movie. But anyways, so now it's time for our favorite part. Uh, I think it's time to grade this uh, movie. So Kelly, let's start with you since I think we're going to go up. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, with my five minute theory... I think that us having talked about it and everything, we've given a lot more thought into it than anyone else involved with the project. Uh, (laughs) There's more that I wanted to say, but (laughs) I don't know. We all know where this is headed. It's worse than Charles Swan for me. Uh, It's an F24. Wow. Wow. The first F24. All right. All right. Mr. Kevin. So... I think we all did touch on the highs and the lows of this movie, and I will give it um, its props as being a part of movie history for better or for worse. It definitely is a title that people remember, and it's a title that we all were either looking forward to or knew existed on this list, therefore giving it some merit. Uh, After watching it and overanalyzing the absolute shit out of it, I have decided that it is better than I initially thought it was. And maybe that's just because I've convinced myself that it wasn't just an absolute misogynistic, hedonistic piece of garbage. Either way, uh, it was an enjoyable watch because I knew that we would all be talking about it, and it was fun to analyze it as it was going on the screen, and maybe that's a bad way to watch movies, but at the same time, it really kind of gives you a, a different perspective if you're looking at it from the lens of a reviewer or the lens of maybe the director in that circumstance. Uh, but anyway, back to my review. Uh, I think after all of those things, it's a it's a C minus for me. So it it has its positive parts in it. I thought James Franco actually was pretty damn good at what he did, um, regardless of his intent on the whole thing. Um, but the other flaws was just too much for me to overcover. And uh, C minus, yeah. All right. So I I do want to start out with three things I did like about this movie: the um the cinematography. 
the lighting and the set design and the music. It all, it succeeded at creating a world. That's uh, a few things I will give to the director that made me give this a better grade than I initially would have. And I, you know, he did a good job with that. But then after that, the actual script, this, the writing was, I think, pretty atrocious. Um, just the spring break forever, like... I mean, did he just watch The Sandlot or something? Did The Sandlot the Sandlot and Spring Breakers have a handshake right there where they both have very slow cuts of people going, forever. And, you know, it was just, you know, not good. And the, the <laughs> acting outside of James Franco, James Franco was good, but the acting outside of James Franco did not lift up the script at all. And it just, like, it, they were not good actors, in my opinion. They did not succeed... Like I say again, none of these characters I, I cared about. And for me to care about a character, it usually has to do with the acting and the writing of the character. And I didn't care about any of them, which means it failed at both those things. And so, like, in the end, I can see what the director was doing. I can know, like, the message he might have been trying to get across. But for me to actually care about that message and for me to think that he was saying something kind of prophetic, um, I would have had to care about more of this movie. Uh, so for me, it was a D plus 24. Yeah, it it was not, you know, worse than Charles Swan for me, but it it was not even close to uh, good for me. So. Cole? Yeah, I, I like, like Eric said, I like the cinematography. I like the colors. I thought it was, um, you know, shot very well in terms of, that stuff, but as for the actual content in the film, I felt like it was very hollow and just kind of, it just didn't, I just felt like it was missing stuff the whole time. And also, you know, it was only what, like a 90 minute film, but there were scenes that dragged on like way too long. So like, it honestly probably could have been a, like an hour if you cut it down. Um, the scene with James Franco and he just kept saying, I got, I got shit, I got shit. And it's just like, went on for like five minutes and I just, I was losing it by the end of it. I just could not handle him anymore because he kept over pronunciating. Like, it just uh, it drove me crazy. Uh, it, I mean, it was, it was a fun film. I watched it. I'm not going to watch it again and I'm not going to recommend it for anyone else, but I don't think it was worse than Charles Schwab. Charles Schwab was not a good film. No. Uh, but <clears throat> it's, it, it's such a maybe we gave this film like not the best uh chance because we went from ginger and rosa to this mm -hmm. and they are so different but they're both like oh it's like young girls growing up and like experiencing new things and stuff but vastly different way done very differently uh and i like ginger and rosa way more than this film so I'm gonna give this a D plus a twenty or a D plus twenty four. Yeah, I, I forgot whatever. my prefix. Oops. Uh, hey Kevin, do you give your grade a little bit more up because Jeff Jarrett no, was in it? No, or that's exactly where it was. Uh, a <laughs> okay. A twenty four C minus. <laughs> right, C, C minus twenty four. C, C minus twenty four. Oh, C minus twenty four. Minus twenty four. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I feel like I've said a lot of what I had to say about this film. I I. Just to echo Eric and Cole, I think that the uh, cinematography was the best we've seen so far out of all the movies that we've seen. The soundtrack was on point, maybe not as on point as uh, Ginger and Rosa, but I do think that 
the sound was there to make a point. The lighting was amazing. Uh, I love the, uh, you know, just the oversaturation of everything. I think for me, it all worked as someone who, you know, can look at it from um, a third party perspective of almost like God looking down on these people as the <laughs> the hedonistic ants that they uh, want to be because that was the commentary that they were making is that we are um, selfish, vapid, soulless people and the youth are just have the attention span of a beetle. So I think he made a really good point in all that and I think James Franco's over the top portrayal of Alien was the best I've seen him in. Maybe 127 Hours might be better, but that's debatable. You know, and like I said, the colors, it just it just kept moving, moving along. I do agree with Cole that there was some slow parts. I do think some of those scenes could have been, you know, cut a little early, but I think the overall message was, it was there for me. So I am going to give it a B24, solid B. I would definitely recommend it to everyone to see at least once, to at least to get their opinion on it, because I do think it is a decisive movie. I do not think that this is a gray movie. I think it's black and it's white, you know, in the fact of whether you're going to like it or not. So, yeah, that's uh, that's it. This is our first movie where we were all kind of, well, you guys, I guess I was really the only dissension. Hey, no, that's <laughs> um so yeah no that was really fun to like you know actually have some uh verbal banter where we're not just uh shaking each other's hands over everything so um that's really fun so i believe our next movie is kind of a, a movie around the same ilk i, I can't so remember what the, it's called the right bling now. ring about... which is actually a true story about these uh group of i think it's a group of women that uh went around hollywood uh stealing stuff like uh doing home invasions uh on very famous celebrities and oh. sofia coppola wrote and directed it and i i'm a fan of hers but yeah <laughs> interesting unlike your brother yeah right. <laughs> so wait, blaze one last thing though you right. you live in tampa bay across the bay from st petersburg is this like realistic to florida you know it's not even <laughs> In, in, in my, ex I mean, okay, so I moved here when I was 27, yeah. so, like, I don't do spring break or anything like that, but I have never turned on the news, and it was, like, <laughs> you know, cocaine parties yeah. and motels. I, I think the uh, the poorer parts, uh, once they got to that part, I think that was very reminiscent. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, people who, like, hang out of side, like, barbershops and pool halls mm -hmm. and stuff like that, and they, like, throw money in the air for, like, mm -hmm. no reason, <laughs> They, and there's like there's always like the 12 year old on an atv yeah. doing uh <laughs> burnouts but like as far as like the spring break part i i mean like i said that was just an over hyperization that was the that's what uh jersey shore says spring break is so um no <laughs> and tampa's even worse tampa's even older people I, and i i did want to say so. one last thing too um there was an abandoned sequel under the names of spring breaker yep. spring breakers the second coming <clears throat> um, and it was actually about spring breakers coming into conflict with Christian extremists. And, uh, yeah, Har Harmony Corinne and Franco were not on board with that, and it never got made. Also, one point that none of us brought up, that god-awful transition noise, every fucking scene with the gun load or the yeah. bullet load oh, or the shot, I yeah. was just, just god-awful. 
terrible. Yes, there's there's a lot of things yeah, repet- that I wanted to bring up, but I, oh. I got to spare Blaze. I got to spare the listeners. Oh, we didn't want to shit hard, on him. That gun one. God. Oh my god. <laughs> See, I actually I don't like when I'm driving and I'm listening to rap and I hear gunshots or police sirens because I always think it's happening around me. Yeah, I hate police. I think police sirens should not be allowed in any radio yeah, station. Yeah, I get freaked the fuck out when I when I hear that. I listen to it, and it's like also next uh, time on A twenty four on the rocks. <laughs> yeah. wow. All right, spring break forever, bitches. <laughs> spring break. <laughs> <laughs>